I was commissioned by a senior pastor to go out and do restorative justice work and uh, pizza church and, and mm. you know, organic stuff and all sorts of things that the church paid for. A lot of times I had to do it off campus because you couldn't let people know what we're doing. But it worked out really, really well. We're and helping got- people and feeding them. We can't let the church know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, friends, to episode 59, the Wild Goose episode of Pub Theology Live. Woo! Woo! We are a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft fruit pint, a fine wine, maybe a rye whiskey, which we were just passing around the stage here earlier. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern Time at pubtheology.com, and you can listen to us anytime at uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app is as well as streaming on your Roku device, the New Thought channel. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. Our first sponsor is Casual Priest, maker of fine clergy wear based out of Sweden. Their clergy tops are tailored, modern, confident, and stylish. (laughs) And uh, you can join our conversation by calling our Casual Priest hotline at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. It'll be after the show in this case, but we can play your voicemail on the show. Give us your thoughts about the topics, things we're talking about. And if you do, you'll have a chance to win free clergy apparel from Casual Priest. And, of course, you can always jump in on the Twitter sphere or Facebook. And please use hashtag PTLive. And our wine sponsor tonight is Wink Wine Club. That's Wink with a C. Wink features superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. Get started at trywink.com slash PTLive for $20 off your first order and other savings. Woo-hoo. And tonight, we are at the Wild Goose Festival. <laughs> My goodness, how great is that? And we'll be discussing, among other things, the church, is it worth it anymore? <laughs> wow. So I, I, I think we'll have some divergent thoughts. We've got a lovely cast around the table. My name is Brian Burkoff, and I am pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan. Help cultivate conversations at Pub Theology Holland, and I've uh, been leading pub conversations for about nine years now, and an author of the book Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. And tonight I am drinking an all-day IPA yeah. from Founders yeah. Brewing in Michigan, and... Uh, with us, we have Josh. Why don't you introduce yourself, Josh? Yeah, my name is Josh Rocket. I'm also from Holland, Michigan, originally. But uh, yeah, I uh, now live in Chicago. I live in Wheaton. I work for an international food relief organization there. I help pastor a small um, house church. And then I help co-found and start Beer and Hymns Chicago and um, uh, lead the Beer and Hymns sing-alongs here every night. And it's been awesome. So, so thanks for that, Josh. Yeah, for thanks sure, for that. For sure. Thanks for that. I'm Brian McLaren, and I don't think you can hear the sound of it, but I'm (laughs) drinking a two-hearted ale, an American IPA. There we go. Welcome, Brian. Great to have you back on the show, by the way. Happy to be back. 
My name is Christy Berghoff, and I'm with Brian, and Ooh. I'm a civil discourse consultant, so I guess I'm here to break up any fights that start around the table. Awesome. My name is Michael Camp. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I work for a uh, Microsoft partner in Seattle, day job. Uh, on the side, I, I write and blog, and oh, by the way, I am drinking a two-hearted ale, which is perfectly balanced IPA. I don't usually like IPAs, but this one is really good. Mm, mm, yeah, from Kalamazoo, Bell's Green. Kalamazoo, yeah. that's correct. Absolutely right. Well, it's great to have all of you with us, as well as all of you in the audience, and please stay tuned. Because in a moment, well, after we bat around our topic for a little bit, we do want to open up the mic for any thoughts you have about the kinds of things we're talking about in regard to the church. Our first question is, uh, oh, and by the way, shout out to my usual co-hosts, Ogan and Tina. We know you're listening. We love you guys. And uh, next year, we'll get you at the Wild Goose to join us. Our first question is, what are your favorite and least favorite parts about camping? We are out in the woods. If you're not familiar with the Wild Goose, we are out uh, in a beautiful campsite uh, in the hills and mountains of uh, western North Carolina along a river. And we've been, many of us, camping and dealing with some of the elements. So if you have a thought about what you like about that or don't like, jump in. Uh, I'm staying at a hostel, <laughs> and Whoa, it has air conditioning. <laughs> uh, no, but it's been fun because it's a, it's a hostel for a lot of Appalachian trail hikers, and so I've had nice. some wonderful conversations about them and learning about that. Um, my least favorite thing is I'm, I sweat really good here, <laughs> so, but it's, it's been fun. There's humidity here in Carolina. I'll jump in. Um, I I confess I'm not camping either. <laughs> what? And your isn't your? I, tell me, is your name Michael Camp? I should be with the last name Camp. I should be. But uh, I, what I hate about camping is when it rains, and it has rained a lot here. <laughs> so my hats off for the the troopers who who braved the rain. You guys have been doing well. Well, just to offer a different perspective, um, when it's hot and humid and then it rains, it temporarily cools off for a couple of minutes. Yeah, so yes. the rain today was welcome. Yeah, okay. I would say my least favorite part is the big puddle that's currently in our tent. However, with our four little kids running around, we don't have to have a basin of water outside the tent because they're washing their feet inside the tent in the puddle. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Yeah, convenience. 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 So I would say uh, my favorite part about camping is just feeling close to nature. Uh, you know, you, you don't have the separations we normally do in the home uh, where we're, you know, uh, dry <laughs> and temperature controlled and we're kind of protected from the elements. When you're camping, you've got a thin sheet of canvas protecting you from the rainstorms or inviting the rainstorms in. So favorite part, closer to nature. Least favorite part closer to nature you know <laughs> sometimes sometimes it gets a little too close but but it's a beautiful thing a beautiful thing so uh our topic of the night is the church is it worth it anymore is it worth it anymore and i think many of us around the table here and those uh, sitting here as well as our listeners here on this podcast have journeys through different kinds of faith communities uh and we have stories that come with that we have good experiences, we have things that we wrestle with, regret, or have led us down a different path, perhaps, away from organized faith communities. So church, is it worth it anymore? 
thoughts about well, that? I'd like to speak up about that first. Um, because I, I think we ought to add the words for you. Is it worth it for you anymore? Because mm. I, I think uh, about uh, the story that I just recently heard that involved clergy pedophilia and it involved uh, payoffs being made to people to keep quiet about things and uh, church officials appealing to civil authorities to not prosecute. And I just think for all of those victims, there is no question, they, they have every reason to say it's not worth it. You know, the, what they've experienced there, it's just not worth it. And, um, and then for other people, they'd say, wow, the church saved my life. This is the best thing in my life. I'm so honored to be part of this thing. It's the happiest hour of my week. It's the most meaningful community I'm part of. And you know, if, if they were to jump in and say yes, it would feel like an insult to those people for whom the answer is a screaming no, you know? Yeah. So I really think it, it, it ends up being a personal question, is it worth it for me? And uh, I was a pastor for 24 years, it was definitely worth it for me. Um, in the sense it was my job and it was my life and it was my mission. When I left the pastorate 11 years ago, I, I, I got to be honest about that question in a new way. And um, if I were to say over these last 11 years, I would have to say barely. Mm. Um, my honest answer would be barely. There are great blessings to being part of a, a local church, but there are Sundays where I think there are such crying, incredibly intense, important needs and issues to address, and I think we just spent an hour talking about God and avoiding talking about the things that I think God cares most about. Uh. And those days, like a day for me like that this year was Palm Sunday, um, because I think Palm Sunday is the most political Sunday of the year. Oh. It's, it's about a demonstration. And it's, in fact, I think it's about a kind of guerrilla theater. We could talk about that some other time if you want, but um, it's a political event. And we managed to get through that Sunday and avoid any issue of substance and I came home and I just thought, it's not worth it today, you know. But I'm glad, you know, I stuck it out because I went back a couple, I, I travel a lot, so I'm away on Sundays. But the next time I was back, I thought, okay, I'm glad I didn't give up uh, on Palm Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Michael. Yeah, I would, uh, I would uh, second that saying that it, the answer to the question is it depends. I, I come from an evangelical background, so I could give you some examples of where church didn't work for me. And I think the reason for that is some, some churches are part of a system that it, it's obligatory, it, it is, uh, uh, there's certain behavior code, codes and doctrines that you have to believe and so forth. And in that system, especially the more conservative it is, the more uh, it's susceptible to basically spiritually abusing people. So you can find some really bad examples of church out there. Uh, I always, I, I, I call myself a done. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with church. Right. But that, like you said, Brian, that's for me. And, you yeah. know, if it's not for everyone. But um, I look at it as church is optional. And I think that's out of my background, evangelicalism says church isn't optional. So when it's imposed on you, there's right. a different, you know, dynamic going on. When it's not uh, imposed, you have more freedom. You can uh, build maybe use some creativity uh, to build some uh, new ideas for community that don't fit the modern model that we have. Mm. And uh, that's one of the things I, I, uh, I write about in my, one of my books, um, that when you look at history, the history of the church, you find out that, 
know, modern models really don't fit that very well. Not that there's a perfect model in the Bible, but there's some principles in the history of the church that we often ignore. And, uh, and there's a freedom to develop Christian communities uh, in a more creative way and think of different ways of gathering and, and having community and fellowshipping together and doing what counts instead of having committee meetings about you know things like the church building fund or something so right right josh i'd be interested in hearing your thoughts uh given you know being involved with the house church in chicago tell us a little bit about that yeah so um so so like i mentioned i grew up in holland uh where you guys are at and there's a a lot of churches there. Uh, and uh, <laughs> then I was like, okay, cool. I need to get out of here. Um, and I moved to Wheaton, um, at Wheaton, Illinois. And there's a lot of churches there. Uh, yeah. So uh, and kind of through that, um, kind of through th- growing up in the church, very much involved in the church, and then moving to a place and, and kind of exploring that as well, going to seminary at North Park Seminary while I was in Chicago, uh, which I only chose because they had a class on Wendell Berry, and so I was like, I'm in. Yeah. Um, but then nice. I, I finished and explored a, a lot of different um, church options with my friends and uh, my family and people I was with, and we just kind of landed one day on the primary way we are going to express our faith uh, is through our this kind of house church model that we created. Um, that doesn't mean other churches are bad or anything like that. I like that you added the words for you. I think that was good because I still go to my local Episcopal church that has this beautiful 150-year-old chapel on Saturday night sometime to express my faith. I still go to mass with my grandma on Sundays occasionally, but yeah. the primary way I express my faith is in a kind of a small, intimate community uh, with my friends in the neighborhood I live. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So, mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. Um, in some ways, I don't have a choice to go on Sunday morning or not. Oh, boy. But um, <laughs> you know, I... I'm just thinking of our, of even our children and how we have one of our kids usually on Sunday morning, right when we're ready to get in the car and get out the door, he dashes off. He knows we're running late. We got to get there. We got to get set up. We got to get things going. And he takes off with his fishing pole. And so there's um, a pond a ways behind our house. And, um, and I, and I, it bothered me so much at first, and I think because I had this idea that this is something we do as a family every Sunday morning. And he started saying, you know, I don't like it. I don't like going there. I don't, I don't like it. And he said, when, when I'm outside, this is how I worship God, with my fishing pole and sitting on the end of the dock, and it's quiet, and no one bothers me, and no one's around. And that's how I feel it. And so I even... So you it's, get preached at by your 12-year-old, and then I you have do, to rethink I your, do. Th- yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, oh, there he is. Um, so I'm, you know, a little bit conflicted about it, I guess. <laughs> there he goes. His ears are burning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah. So I uh, appreciate uh, the, the different things expressed here, and, I, and I've, uh, I've been ordained for uh, 12 years as a pastor. Uh, I've been a part of a couple of traditions now uh, in the United Church of Christ. But uh, before we started the current church we're um, leading, we kind of had a break for a year and a half, maybe a little more of church. And you know, it wasn't all bad. You know, it was like, wow, like I can just have do whatever I want today, and we can sleep late. We can go for brunch. I can read the paper. I can, you know, 
do whatever I want and it's pretty awesome, you know? And, and it just gave me insights into, yeah, I can see why a lot of people are like, hey, I just want this day for myself or to, or to do what I want to do. And I think what Michael hinted at is when we honor people's autonomy and realize people are adults who can make choices for themselves about what's going to nourish them, feed them, opt into community when it is meaningful, but also give them the freedom to do whatever they want to do if it's life-giving and nourishing them where they are in their journey, that's a beautiful stance to hold. And so I think that time away from church gave me appreciation that my life was nourished by other forms of community, uh, other forms of, of worship uh, that were just as beautiful as what might happen gathered on a Sunday at 10. You know, it's funny. I had the same experience. So when I left the pastorate and I moved to a new city and nobody would have known if I didn't go to church. Yes. And... Um, it was really interesting uh, to think I actually started to feel I needed something. Um, and I, here's, here's how I could articulate it. Um, I don't have any community of people in my life that's telling me about the importance of love and commitment and generosity and justice. I, I've got a million commercials telling me I need to buy more crap. I've got... Uh, you know, all kinds of pressures to do this or that or vote for this or that. But I didn't have a community emphasizing the importance of love, right? Does that make sense? But here's the problem. I wasn't sure I could find a church that that was the main agenda either. <laughs> yeah. And right. uh, I, I, the, the little church that we ended up going to, um, the funny thing was I tried to go, and this was a church that back then wasn't very good at using the Internet, right? So... Um, the website said the service was at such and such a time and I got there and the service was over and they were rehearsing for some kind of a thing for kids. So I thought, okay, the next week I looked in the paper. That was the wrong time too. (laughs) Wow. They were working hard at getting you there. These people are trying hard to keep me away. The third week I managed to call and actually get the real word. And um, so I went and uh, on the marquee in front of the church, Uh, You know, they had this little, you know, those little, I don't know, those little letters that they stick up in a message. And the message was, God loves everyone, no exceptions. Mm. And I remember thinking, there's a chance this is going to work. Nice, (laughs) nice. See, they were using reverse psychology. You know, sometimes we'd work too hard in the church to get people to come. And this was kind of like playing hard to get. (laughs) That's exactly right. I should tell them that. But I, I should also say my choices were really limited <laughs> because I did try to visit another church on our little island and when I arrived I thought they were going to preach a sermon against me <laughs> uh, because they mentioned my books and you know so I thought oh gosh and I thought I hope nobody recognizes me here Duck, ducking under your hymnal yeah yeah so uh yeah jump in I was just going to add a, a little something um you Brian was saying that you know sometimes oh I want to find a community that's just focused on love i call it the love ethic of jesus well you know in leaving church i had that same draw you know gee we're missing something so we formed a home discussion group and there's a pub theology group that we started and among my friends and um that was good but it still wasn't quite enough you know so i joined my local rotary club um and found a community of people i like to call it a community of people who actually understand and put into practice the love ethic of Jesus without naming Jesus 
and without religion. <laughs> and it's a very refreshing community. People, the, the motto is service over self. So we do a lot of service projects in the community. I'm involved with international projects, mirroring some of the things I used to do as an evangelical missionary, but through a, a secular organization. I don't know how you feel about that, but to me, that's Jesus is, is in that community. We don't talk about religion. We accept everyone. We accept, you know, women in leadership, the gay and lesbian community, everyone. And we do service uh, over self. And, you know, I think Jesus is looking and saying, oh, yeah, you're doing that to the least of these. You've done it to me. So good word. Yeah. Beautiful. I was hoping you were going to share that example. Thank you. That's fantastic. So I have a quote here uh, from Rob Bell, and he says, uh, and this is in his latest book, What is the Bible? He says, it's possible to resist the very growth and change and expanding consciousness that God desires for you by appealing to your religious convictions. Does that make sense? In other words, perhaps God is wanting to grow something new in you, but what you've been trained by in the church or what you've learned in your religious setting is actually getting in the way, ironically, of the very thing God might be trying to do in you. So wondering around the table, uh, how have you seen that? And how have you, uh, have you seen that happen in the church? But how have you seen the church break open and actually hear God in new ways? I'll share. Um, so I'm thinking of a lot of the folks that wander in the doors of our church today, the Holland United Church of Christ. And many of them grew up in conservative settings and then they left. And so they're finding their way back, but they're often miscategorized as not caring or, oh, they've just thrown it all away. But often the story we hear is we're more passionate about this than we ever have been. And so we're studying the Bible in new ways and deep ways. And we're looking at the cultural context and we're learning the original language. I mean, these are not seminary students. These are people who care so much about this and they're seeking to go deeper. And that takes them away from and outside of the boundaries that their former um, churches or denominations have set up. So there's just, there's not this room for growth, you know, within their churches. And so it's just so sad to me because often what we hear is, I got more excited about my faith and I've ever been more convicted to live as Jesus calls me to live. And I'm called a heretic and I'm condemned and I'm pushed out and I'm labeled and I'm demonized and I'm dismissed. So yeah. that's where I see it over and over again in those ways. Anybody else? Well, yeah, I've heard exactly this kind of stories. And I'd have to say, if I had stayed in the place I was born, brought up in and born in, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. You know, so much of my growth never could have happened in those contexts. Uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, true and it's important. But it raises an interesting question for me. And here, here's, here it is. Let's say that 600 years ago, some guy confronts misunderstandings of his day, and he makes a statement uh, that to, to confront those misunderstandings. And let's say that th that statement is so profound that it starts a new religious community. Denomination, or whatever. This is only hypothetical. This is only way. hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, for 600 more years, people have repeated what he said as their religious conviction. The irony is, in the act of repeating what they've said, they've been 
they betrayed the example yeah. that he set, yes. which was the example of being willing to challenge uh, the standard things that were said, you know, uh, that he inherited. So here's the interesting irony. Are we faithful to our traditions by following the example of our founder or by endlessly repeating the statements uh, of our founder? Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, uh, ironically, in the tradition I grew up in, uh, which was a reformed Calvinist tradition, one of the beautiful sayings in that tradition is reformed and always reforming. So there was this idea that we are continually open to change and to God doing new things. But I found in practice that was a very nice saying that we actually didn't believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it was we just reformed and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. The, it seems like the uh, the wind is always blowing against, uh, you know, to, to keep those processes going. But, you know, I think it's important for us to remember this isn't just a problem in religion. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had to get like a specialized light bulb a couple weeks ago and I went to the local big box hardware store and um, I there's this long aisle with, you know, 75,000 kinds of light bulbs and I couldn't find the kind I needed. And yeah. I was pretty sure if they didn't have it, it didn't exist. So it must be there. And all the employees were in this little circle um, talking about, you know, company gossip and all the rest. And literally, I walked around the circle like three times, hoping I could get one of their uh, <laughs> attention. And, and so I, it just was this great moment for me where I thought every organization is tempted to forget the purposes for which it exists. <laughs> mm. yeah. that, is, that is so true. Uh, it just reminds me, you know, there's a certain security in having a, a religious system where you've got, you think you have all the answers and um, you don't have to change and, you know, the, you, you've, got, you've got it all figured out. The problem that I see in my experience is that when that, you have that kind of environment, you end up, like Brian said, just, you know, uh, going against the original meaning of the whole thing uh, because you become ingrained. But the other important thing to remember is when, the, and I think this might be a, a good way to challenge people, is like if what we're doing is harming others in some way, if it's spiritually abusive, if it's, you know, covering up, you know, whatever, uh, sexual uh, abuse or something in the church in the name of, of, of protecting an institution, then, you know, open our eyes. Let's, let's address that because we've got to change if that's what's going to happen. And so I think that's one of the ways that maybe whatever kind of community you, you create is that always, I love that, reformed, but always reforming. So let's be open to reforming if, if we're harming other people and uh, we're doing something that's really counterproductive. Yeah, beautiful. And I think often there are things like that in our traditions that, that if we even go back to the very things we say we value and the things our founders valued, they uncover uh, newness and life and we've kind of buried it under uh, some, some uh, decades and centuries of, of yeah solidifying things. I'd like to open it up to our audience right now. Uh, Russ has a mic. So if you have a thought on this topic of church, is it worth it anymore? We would love to hear from you. And I might have a beer for our first person with a question or comment. So, oh, kaboom, he's not going to waste time. A lot of hands went, just went up. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> OK. Tell us your name, please, where you're okay. from, and then give us okay. your comment. Uh, I'm Charles. I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, so, so, 
Uh-oh. We have some technical Hello? difficulties. There we go. Uh, co-host of a Jew and a Gentile walk into a bar mitzvah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> woo! Nice. I, I'm, I'm the Jew, by yeah. the way. <laughs> and from my faith tradition, the, the quote you had from Rob Bell's new book, I'm currently going through Abraham Joshua Heschel's oh, so book on good. the prophets. Yes. And a, a quote that, you know, shook me to my soul that reflected what you're talking about, about doctrine. So I just wanted to share that one. He says, an idea or a theory of God can easily become a substitute for God, impressive to the mind when God as a living reality is absent from the soul. Mm. Woo. Beautiful, Charles. And he, please come grab your beverage. And Charles, actually, he's the one who shared some rye whiskey earlier. So thank you, sir. <laughs> so a beautiful quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, any, any comment at the table to that? And then we'll go to our next question. Heschel rocks. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. All right. I saw another hand. Yep. Please. Hi, Monica. I'm from Winston-Salem. Hi, Monica. And I'm recently ordained and also listened to your podcast. So Ooh. my question is more practical. So for those of you that are ordained or have been ordained, how many of you would choose to do so now? Knowing what you know about ministry, <laughs> living life in the church, <laughs> and moving forward. Yeah. How many of you would make that same decision to do so? Because I, I left a career that was a little lucrative, not much, but a little. And I, you know, I just graduated seminary and I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great question. Don't tell my denomination, but. <laughs> and our first question by a female also gets a beer. So please come and get that. Thank you for being a listener. And it's a great question. I think all of us around the table have been involved in the church to some degree or another, whether we were ordained or not. So I'd love to hear from I'd love to say something about that. So uh, the first thing I'd say is if I could find people like the people at Wild Goose, I would be more excited about starting a career in ministry than I was when I started. Like, I, I just think the possibilities that are out there now are greater and more open than they were in the past. And the need for a certain kind of faith community is greater than ever was. Now, that doesn't minimize the fact that if what you do, what you mean by that is I've got to take a job in an existing church to fulfill their demands, that would be a different thing. But the idea of a life of ministry is a, is a really big deal. But I, can I tell a quick anecdote Please. about this? So I was in England, oh, this is several years ago now, and I was speaking at this conference where another guy was speaking as well, and I really wanted to hear him speak, and I'm standing in the back re ready for his lecture, and this guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, could I talk to you for a minute? And I said, I really want to hear this talk. He said, I'm desperate, man. And so I said, okay, so we went to a pub. Why a pub was open at 10 in the morning, I don't know, but it was. <laughs> it's a holy hour. It was England. <laughs> Sacred hour. So we sit down in this pub, and he says to me um, exactly what you just said. He said, I was a commodities trader. That's a big thing here in London, he said. And I was making a lot of money, and I felt a call to ministry, and I got ordained, and I'm in my first curacy. And he said, um, I, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't. He said, I am assigned to this little church. We have a maximum of 18 people show up. And he said, of those 18 people, I have not yet found a theist. Forget about a Christian. I haven't found a theist yet. 
I said, why do they come? He says, choir music. He said, they all like to sing. And he said, when the choir sings, there are zero people in the pews. The 18 people who come are the people in the choir. He says, but none of them believe in God. They just like to sing. And I said, and he said, I felt like I was doing more good in the world as a commodities trader. I was certainly making a better salary. I feel like I've made a huge mistake. That's why I told you I was desperate. I said to him, how many minutes, how many hours does it take to fulfill your duties that those 18 people require? He said, including showing up on Sunday? <laughs> I said, yes. He said, a maximum of four hours. Now, the work hour in England is 36 hours a week. I said, so you're telling me that you're getting a full salary for four hours of work? He said, well, I work more than 40 hours. I said, it sounds to me like the rest of those hours, you're just bothering 18 people. <laughs> I said, I said, listen, if you were to do a good job of meeting the needs of those 18 people for four hours a week, what could you do with the other 36 hours? And I'll just tell you, this look came over his face like nobody ever gave him that possibility before. He said, we yeah. live in a poor estate. Our, in, our, in our terminology, I live in a poor housing development, a poor neighborhood. He said, I could do so much in that neighborhood. I said, would your bishop support you? He said, I think he would, because in, in you know, the Anglican church if you're it's a different deal and so I just could tell I didn't need to say anything else um, he he saw it that we have a lot more power than we realize sometimes now some places he would have just had to get out of there and go somewhere else but I think one of our great challenges is to not let somebody else define what ministry means mm, right we yeah, we yeah, probably yeah, have a lot yeah. more power than we realize yeah, yeah. good that. good good so anyone else at the table if you if you knew what you know now would you would you go into involvement in, in the church yeah I, I like your question a lot because I ask it to myself every day for the past five years uh, <laughs> since I graduated um, seminary I, I mean that was my original plan was to get ordained and to and to, to go and, and pastor a church and um, things changed and uh, um, so I, I, I love the question and I struggle with it and I've kind of found myself uh, I, I work for a nonprofit currently in, in food assistance and I also work as a hospice chaplain on call um, and yeah all right nice <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah so um, so I just want to say I just love your question and struggle with the same thing and I think it's a really good thing to think about and I appreciate your response Brian and the antidote with all that as well so yeah yeah others Michael yeah, I would say that, I mean, I was involved with the American Baptist Church when I was a missionary, and they ordained me uh, just um, as a, a local ordination to, to be a missionary in their name. And I, I would say if, it was, if I was going to go back and do it again, I wouldn't do it in a denomination. Uh, there were just too many limits. It would have to be an organization where uh, it was progressive enough, it was open enough to, you know, uh, let me uh, teach or let me uh, serve where my passions were. So, like, for example, um, I'm done with church, but, you know, I'm not done with, you know, spirituality and community. I'm a member of the Christian Universalist Association. They actually have a, a small little program where they ordain people. Hmm. And I... I toyed with it for a while, and I decided I wasn't going to do it, but I was seriously considering it, and, and I think it's a, a valid point, because if, if only if it, it, it was a means to an end, like, in other words, I could, I could have more credible, 
credibility, reach more people with uh, a message I was passionate about, then then it's worth it. But if it's just, you know, okay, uh, this is my career, I've got to do it because the denomination wants me to, and then I have to kind of sell my soul and, you know, right. line up with your statement of faith. There's a big no for that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts? Sure. Or I can jump in. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I... I would say looking back, there's been some really, really hard parts. There's been some really good parts, but I would say I, I, would, I would stick with it. I would do it again, knowing what I know now, but it's been a really hard journey to get to that point of, of being able to say that. And you know, I think um, when we initially started ministry in, in a conservative, um, tradition where there were some pretty tall walls around it and um, and then when we began to encounter people who had grown up in some tradition with tall walls um, there was a lot of pain coming in our doors and we we're meeting a lot of stories of people who had been hurt in their traditions who didn't have space to grow as we were talking about earlier and when we totally changed our mindset on what church would be for us. And when we began to say, you know what, instead of constructing these huge walls, we're gonna build a really long table instead. And so if you're interested in asking that question, what does it mean to live like Jesus in this world? You can come to this table. And so we have, you know, we have atheists and agnostics and people of other faith traditions who come around this table and Jesus is the focus and that's who we seek to follow. But it does not have these walls and there's, you know, there's no, um, no soldiers on the top with, with guns or arrows pointing down at the people on the outside. And metaphorically so, speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, just to be of clear. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, so I, and it's so beautiful. And I, I love the community that we now have. And I would never have imagined this kind of community um, growing up and where I come from and when we first started the ministry. So absolutely no regrets. Yeah, I think I would echo that as well, just to uh, find, round it out on this question. Uh, I think I would do it again, uh, in, in part because for me, really, my, my opening, like God breaking through into a lot of new ways in my life happened when I was on the ground doing ministry and in the role of being a spiritual leader, uh, trying to facilitate community. And it was like, oh, crap. You know, like I can't just read out of my seminary manual. I need to know what I think and why. It's not just enough to reiterate the stuff I learned growing up or even got in seminary. Like it has to work and it has to make sense. And I just began to dig deeper and deeper. And as I did that, began to deconstruct things and, and just open up in new ways to, to God and life and people of other faith traditions and the people not of faith and all the things that all of them had to teach me. And I think being in ministry almost forced me into this place of re-owning my tradition and breaking out of uh, some old ways of thinking that, that I wouldn't trade for anything. So, um, beverage check, anyone need a beer around the table? We're doing? Yeah, we got All right. <laughs> anyone else have a question, comment about church? I've got one in the back and then one up here. Let's get our gentleman back there. I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I would say if you're thinking about whether to stay in church or not church, one option that I found really satisfying was to find uh, a congregation or primarily a senior pastor that would support you and could live vicariously 
through your vision because there's a lot of frustrated pastors that want to do the things you want to do. They can't do it. Uh-huh. You couldn't do it either yeah. if you were the big cheese there. But uh, my pa- I was commissioned by a senior pastor to go out and do restorative justice work and um, uh, pizza church and, and mm. you know organic stuff and all sorts of things that the church paid for. A lot of times I had to do it off campus because you couldn't let people know what we're doing. But it worked out really, really well. We're and helping got, people and feeding them. We can't let the church know. I got a, I got a, I got a pension now, and in the, and the church has been uh, blessed in, in roundabout ways through people coming back to what we call big church uh, for one reason or another. Having a side uh, business helps. I, I work as a therapist, so I could do that to kind of get out and get away and have a different identity but changing your identity and infiltrating the institutional church as a missionary i think can be a really good strategy and they'll pay you for it if you find the right place great great thank you for that comment excellent insight and i think that's a beautiful expression of church when uh leadership is about empowering other leaders and realizing we're a community of people with a lot of gifts that can really impact our world and our community and so thanks for that that comment. Uh, anybody else in the crowd have a comment on? Oh, yeah, we had one right up here. Uh, and Wait for the mic. Oh. Uh, these are, uh, I think they're related, but they're two two reactions. And I'm a uh, recently retired pastor after 42 years in denominational mainline ministry. Uh, first, which was my father was a Rotary member, and uh, he lived by the uh, what is it, the four-way four-way test. Way test. He took it seriously, and then I noticed, like is in a lot of churches, there were others in Rotary Club that didn't, but my father, that was very real. Uh, the question that comes behind that for me uh, is what is ultimately, there are a lot of places where we experience not only community, but the presence of Jesus. I am doing a lot more as a musician and have really gotten involved with communities of musicians, open mic communities, et cetera, mm. and feel real presence and real uh, mutual accountability and all kinds of but what is the difference between those kind of groups and quote church unquote and this circles back then to the idea of uh, it seems to me that there's almost two distinct tasks one of which is the the task of the of the traditional denominations to figure out what the hell they're doing and the other is the creation of new vital Christian communities yeah. and that seems to indicate to me a need to completely rethink yeah. what we're doing in theological education. Mm. Because we may not be preparing people for full-time paid jobs with uh, pensions anymore. Yeah. There may be ways that uh, communities need to lift up people to go out and get certain kinds of education. I mean, it just seems to me that the, that, the, that the seminaries have a certain model for what they're preparing people that may not exist in its present form much longer. So yeah. those are a couple of very things, but I'd love Great. to hear your reaction. Yeah, tell us your name again, where you're from. Uh, I'm Bob Brashear from New York City. All right, thank you, Bob. And I, so perhaps in that is, to put it succinctly, is is our idea of church too narrow? Yeah, I I would agree with that. And, and if you're talking about, you know, how to educate people, one of the things that I focus on and I think that, that seminaries should focus more on is is first of all learn the um, the historical cultural context of the first gatherings of Jesus followers and really understand what that was all about and then let from that create think creatively about how to apply that in our modern society and that would be a good start 
because I think <laughs> mostly in seminary, you just kind of assume, oh, well, you know, our church system, um, you know, back in perpetuity, right it, to Jesus. Right. It's yeah, right. It was that's the way they've always done it, you know, and, and we don't realize that, you know, uh, actually, uh, there's a lot of things that we do that it's not that they're wrong in and of themselves, but it's important to realize that that they they really aren't what Jesus set up. Um, and they are prob- some of them are problematic. So you need to either address those problems so everyone knows about them or come up with something more creative that maybe fits with the original uh, gatherings of, of, of first Jesus followers. Yeah. Any other thoughts on church? Our idea of church being too narrow at the table here. Not catching energy. So let's go to the crowd. Yeah, in the back. Hey, y'all. Hey, Mike. Uh, Tell us your name, where you're from. Mike Clausen of the Spiritual Transformation Project in Texas. Awesome. Um, Brian, I love the way that you've talked in the past, written in the past, about the church as a school of love. And I know there's a lot of theologians and other writers that have talked about the formative, uh, the formative practices of the church, the things that we do together as community that do or hopefully are supposed to shape us into those people that are more loving and more engaged with one another. Um, and yet there's so many churches out there even the ones that aren't uh doctrinal fundamentalists you know whose beliefs and and commitments are actively standing in the way of love but even ones that say they want to be loving and and training and forming people into that way they keep doing the same things that they've always done with this belief that it's going to produce somehow different results Mm. um and, and i Personally, I, I sometimes call it a kind of liturgical fundamentalism. Yeah. Where, and, and there's whole theologies that have built up that say, yeah, these, these liturgies and these traditional practices and rituals, um, they, they just are magically create the kind of people that are going to be more loving. They, and they are the point almost, right? They are the point. And if yeah. we just do these things, they're go- it's going to produce the kind of the results that we want and it doesn't all the time sometimes it does but it doesn't and so i guess i want to invite all of you to speak to what more does do churches need to be doing to become these kinds of communities that are worth going to that are shaping us and forming us into the ways of love yeah well i'll offer a thought on that uh, mike i i you know i think one of the things we have to realize in a digital world um, where experiences are available sitting in your living room on a yeah. couch yeah. Uh, digitally to get people to get into a car and drive somewhere and contribute to the carbon foot, you know, your carbon footprint, show up somewhere. You better have a good reason. You know, you have a yeah. you better have a good reason to do it. And you better understand what it is. And you better not waste a minute of a person's time. And you better say, we've actually thought through what's going to happen in these 60 minutes or 75 minutes or whatever it is. And and we've really thought this thing through. So just your question, I think, raises that, uh, you know, that issue. Uh, I have a friend who just got her Ph.D. in how to teach compassion. How to, help pe- how to help people become more compassionate. And she told me the most depressing part of her PhD was that as far as she knows, she's the first person in the history of the universe <laughs> to get a PhD in how to teach empathy and compassion, right? Um, wow. And, and mm-hmm. so you just realize w- we haven't even asked that question until now. So thank you for asking it. A- and then you start to say, if we're going to get, bring people together, my definition of a ritual is a spiritual practice 
that's done in public by a group. So, uh, and it helps them bond to meaning. Mm -hmm. So, and my definition of a liturgy is a succession of rituals or practices, right? So, I think this is the moment we're at. And this is so exciting if we could bear to receive it. What's the liturgy of practices and rituals that would help us bond to meaning and practice love? Uh, I'll just give a quick, maybe two, two really quick examples. Yeah. A lot of Christians pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Um, and then they do a confession of sin. Now, what's interesting in the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our sins or debts or trespasses as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Isn't it interesting that half of the attention is being sinned against, not just sinning? Mm -hmm. I've never seen any liturgy or practice in the church that helps me look over the past week and acknowledge how other people have hurt me. Mm. What would that look like? A liturgy of, of seeing my pain and acknowledging my pain and then something to help me not be angry, not be numb, not be yeah. vengeful yeah. Yeah. to actually process that. As far as I know, I bet psychologists have rituals and practices for that. I'll bet there are certain retreat leaders and spiritual directors who practices. I wouldn't be surprised if there are rabbis. The Jews have great practices for that. And what would happen for us to really acknowledge that? Um, so that would be one example. I'll give you another quick one for Christians. The ritual of baptism. I, I wrote a book called Why Did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and Muhammad Cross the Road? And I wanted to talk about baptism. I, I saw the danger of this this act of cleansing yourself because if the idea is now I'm one of the clean and everybody else is dirty, yeah. the first yeah. step in genocide is to call other people dirty. Yes. And, the, and the creationist idea, we're the clean ones. I just thought every time we do a baptism, it's a ritual of hate. It's unintentionally a ritual that's dangerous. And then I, I, as in recent years and writing that book and so on, I've thought, wouldn't it be interesting if the meaning we associated with baptism, we would say, we're washing ourselves of every identity of superiority. Hmm. We're immersing yeah. ourselves mm. into common humanity. To be baptized means you're accepting you're part of the ocean of humanity. Oh, you're part, that. you're connected to all people. Yeah. It, you know. I should be taking notes right now. I think. <laughs> anyway. That's good. That's good. Good. So, yeah, other uh, responses um, to, to Mike's I just, question. I just thought of this, the verse, uh, freely you have received, freely give. Freely, Jesus said, uh, freely have you received love, freely give. If, if the focus is on love, then the focus um, maybe uh, of your church, um, I mean, I, I'm coming from a background where the focus was, you know, get saved, believe these doctrines, read your Bible every day, pray every day, you know, all these behavior codes and thought codes and so forth. But if it was focus was on love, then your focus is on yeah. helping people receive loving f forgiveness, healing, and then once they receive it, helping people to go out and give it away to others and whatever you come up with that's the needs in your community and so forth but that just thought occurred to me when brian was was talking 
Yeah, and can we begin to see uh, actions, uh, embodied actions of the gospel in our communities as worship, as liturgy? And I think that's kind of what's being hinted at. So when we are uh, working for the common good, for our neighbors, for everyone, what, regardless of their spiritual tradition, their connection to church or no connection, those things are worship uh, embodied. Uh, I think we have time for one last question. I saw a hand in the front row. We got a mic coming. Tell us your name, where you're from, sir. Ian Lynch, and I'm um, a local church pastor outside of Cleveland. Um, and as a quickie, when you talk about baptism, Brian, the, um, when, when I do a baptism almost every time, I have a, a small vial of water from the Jordan River, and I take an eyedropper, and I, get, and I make it a kid's sermon. I bring all the kids for it, and I say, okay, now watch this drop of water. Watch carefully as it goes into this other pool of water. And, I, and they watch, and I say, now take it out. You know, so I can't, you know, yeah. they don't get it, you know, so I said, well, try another one, you know, oh, can't take that one out either, huh? you know, so, so I, in, I immediately talk about that's what baptism is, you're joining, oh. you're becoming part of all of this, and you're joining with the tradition, because it's the Jordan River water, the same water that Jesus is baptized, and, and the other water is local water, and we're bringing that together, so I, I just weave that metaphor together, so good to beautiful. be affirmed, it's nice to be affirmed by Brian McLaren. There so we go, good. yeah, beautiful, I, I, thank you, Ian, thank you, Ian. Um, and, but I also think you're getting to the point that I wanted to ask yeah. in the first place to bring up when I saw you, I think it was yesterday, Brian, you yeah. know, saying, you know, my question with your question is, so define church. Yeah. You know, what the right. heck is church? And I, and I found it really interesting that when you all started with your comments, there was a heavy emphasis on Sunday morning. Yeah. And I think that's, that is part of the problem. And, and uh, your question about the denominations trying to figure out what they're doing, you know, part of what the denominations have to be embracing and all of us have to be embracing is death. Yeah. You know, that what has been needs to die. And I think it belies that uh, a lack of belief in resurrection hmm. Hmm. because we're afraid of dying. Yeah. Because we're not sure we'll hold on to everything. And it's, we've always done it that way as a, as a way of saying we can't change because we got it right now, even though it's not working. And it's just insane. Yeah. And so if we truly believe in resurrection, we'd allow what isn't working to die trusting the spirit to resurrect in that place a new thing that needs to live and grow and maybe that new thing is outside of the four walls and outside of Sunday morning uh, and I hear people talking about those things and I think you're just getting to that point now that you know yeah. maybe acts of kindness in community That's right. is church and right. so maybe maybe practice you know ritual and liturgy as Brian describes it is what needs to happen in all these places I would only add one thing to it and it only comes to me from talking to some other folks around and that is you have to add to that safe space yeah it has to be a right. safe space for yes. you to do that that's right if we want people to join in they have yep. to know that and they don't know that day one yeah uh, they know that because yep. we're with them in relationship and so yeah. how do we do that I yeah. guess is, well, is great, a big big question great question and thank you Ian uh, and so we're moving toward the end of our hour here are there any uh, final words of wisdom from uh, those at the table here yeah, I, I like what you just said and stuff about kind of creating a space, safe space and stuff. And I just um, I want to take two seconds to commend you guys for the work you're doing in Holland as someone who grew up there and maybe didn't couldn't find that safe space that you are now helping create. You're helping create a lot of what's being talked about here in that community. And so um, so thank you for that. Um, thank and you for Josh, the work you're doing. It. So yeah. thank you, Josh. Right. Appreciate it. sir. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Final comment. Yeah, I, I would ditto that. I mean, uh, you know, as the guy who's done with church, I, I say that 
hey, you know, if, uh, if a tall woman with short hair and tattoos on her arms named Nadia started a church down the street, I might, you might, I might join. You might if, check if it Brian out. If Brian and Christy started a church down the street, I'd probably join. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like church to me is optional. It's what, what, what you're, where you're at and what you need. And then a thought came to my mind when you made those comments about Sunday. You know, keep in mind, historically, uh, the earliest church, uh, they either met on Saturday night to have a love feast or Sunday morning, which was a work day. So they probably met early in the morning, you know, had their little gathering and then went off to work. Sunday was not a holiday until the fourth century, you know, yeah. for Christian for Christendom. So it's just keep that in mind. You know, yeah. it's not this, you know, we have to do it on Sunday kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, great, great. Sure. Um, so I guess I would just say... I mean, I've, I like that word journey, and I just think every single person is on a journey. Every single person is on a journey, and no two journeys are alike. And for some people, you know, their journey takes them to a conservative church. Some people are in the process of a journey that, that takes them to, you know, a more progressive church. Some can't be in church right now. And I just, I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind um, with everyone we encounter, regardless of where they are on the spectrum. Great, great. And a uh, quote was mentioned earlier uh, of Brian, uh, which was, if the church is to be anything, above all, it should be a school of love. Mm. A school of yeah. love. And that sounds like something I want to be a part of, whether we call that church or call it something else. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to be a part of a school of love, learning to be human, learning to love, uh, learning to, uh, yeah, bring healing to the world that needs it so that's our show friends thank you for tuning in and listening to pub theology live please connect and spread the word about our show on social media you can again listen anytime on soundcloud stitcher or itunes if you'd like to find a pub theology conversation in your town go to pubtheology.com we have a national directory over 100 groups meeting across the country meeting at your local pub or brewery sitting down where anyone is welcome to ask these conversations and go deeper together. And if you don't have one in your town, you can find some resources to help start your own. Thanks again to our sponsors, Wink Wine Club. You'll find them at TriWink, that's Wink with a C, trywink.com slash ptlive, and casualpriest at casualpriest.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. <laughs>
but I can't tell you how fantastic it has been. Mm-hmm. So I got a couple of things I would like to say. One is that listen to podcasts. Listen to these guys. Listen to my podcast. Listen to Steve's podcast. Frames right over there. You know, listen to podcasts. Uh, there are so many great things coming out of the goosely oriented universe of Christianity that we are all involved in. And the other thing I would like to say is uh, you represent about 3,500 people when I say thank you all for coming to the Wild Goose and opening yourselves to this conversation and thank you for conversing with me from time to time and making my my experience here just in Incredibly wonderful. So thank you all very much. And now it's time. Thanks, for Russ. Yes. Thanks, Thanks, Russ. We've got some coasters. We've got some books. But thank you, Russ. And thank you all for coming. <laughs>